1: This is Progress After Dark. We are telling Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Tonight, we are going to talk, and I mean we are going to go there, about John Fetterman, about depression, and about the cowardly, godless, amoral, little right-wing bitches mocking this actual man for seeking treatment and having the guts to do it Publicly, And we invite you to join the conversation for the next three hours at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. I know there's men out there who recognize the character and strength of John Fetterman for going public about this when he could have easily said he was just going to seek treatment for exhaustion. And I know there's plenty of you who understand the micropenis of a Republican who will mock this man. For this choice we want to hear from you Chris household is still on vacation Thea Harper our extraordinary producer has my god what a job this woman has done oh oh my god what a job thea Harper has done of being uh, my boss uh, the week that I'm sick and the week that Chris is on vacation because I don't know if you know this I'm a complete incompetent I don't know what I'm doing I set things on fire all the time and thea's been putting out my fires all week just, just my god I, I wish every one of you could work with someone like this who can manage your own ineptitude the way Ms Harper does and makes it look easy and she looks good doing it, for God's sakes. Also, the great Sean Bertolo is joining us tonight, filling in, helping out. And uh, we love when he's here. He is one of the bright lights at SiriusXM, because as I've told you before, there's a lot of clowns here. Uh, and Sean is not one. And um, we are really, really thrilled to have him with us. He really brightens up the day. And unlike Chris Houseelt, uh, Sean talks to me. If I ask a question i'm not met with an awkward silence of disdain and contempt so i thank you for that sean you you make me feel seen and we have a great show tonight professor cory brett Schneider will be joining us to talk about well mike pence and mike pence's intense legal maneuverings to avoid having to put his hand on a bible and talk to law enforcement telling the truth about donald trump dr jason nichols will be joining us to talk about you know spy balloons and uh roseanne's return to comedy on a fox news website oh oh that's that's gonna hurt i love roseanne i've loved her for so many years I've worked with her. I know her. I've 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 been at her house. I I'm as mystified by this change as many of you are, and I'm looking forward uh, cautiously to talking with him. And for a very special Thursday treat, our usual hump day bay, the great uh, Keith Price, our comedy daddy, will be joining us tonight at the uh, eleven o'clock Eastern hour. That would be the eight o'clock Pacific hour. So we're glad you guys are with us. I want to hear from you guys tonight because we're going to talk about mental illness and we're talk about the stigmatizing stigmatizers who continue to stigmatize and make things worse for a lot of people, but definitely make things worse for men. We have a lot of great guests. Coming up in the weeks ahead, if you've enjoyed our recent uh, celebrities, my God, Christoph Waltz last week, Natasha Lyonne, Timothy Schmidt of the Eagles. My God, the guy who just got an Oscar nomination for writing Glass Onion, Ryan Johnson was here. Alan Cumming. We've been doing good with the celebrities lately. Uh, You know what I say? Let's let's do more. Let's have even more. Uh, Tomorrow night on the show, we are joined by Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And we recorded this conversation just a few days after she was, vote, she was kicked off her committee in Congress. It's a beautiful and inspiring conversation. Also, uh, Eugene Levy. I know, right? Where are you going to find shows? You, you show me another show that advertises Eugene Levy and Ilhan Omar as the guests. If you respond to that, you're just the split personality types we're looking for. Also, in the weeks to come, Congressman Mark Pocan will be returning to our show and a number of other celebrities I hope I get to announce very soon. I think we're all strapped in i think we're good you good i'm good let's do a show um i want to begin the show by uh just giving a thanks to uh shaw b one of our listeners who tweeted me earlier today Uh, this is just a little preamble this isn't what i really want to talk about but you know i i I always ask folks who who listen to call and i always ask folks who listen to us the next day because we have two kinds of listeners here you might know this we have our, our day walkers you know, the people who like in Blade, the vampires who go out in the daytime. Our daywalkers are the very attractive people who listen to us on the Sirius XM app, Sirius XM On Demand, or the John Fugelsang podcast. Hi, guys. We love you. We read your notes when you write them. And then our evil army of the night are the riffraff who call us live. I can only hope Tucker Steve joins the ranks tonight once again. We love to hear from y'all live and on tape. However, today, uh, you know, I ask people, go ahead and write us and, and write on Twitter. And Shaw B had to write, um, I love your show. Except for the horrible music, you act like is God's gift to all music, which it isn't. Okay, Shaw, um, I love your tweet, except for the horrible grammar you seem to think counts as English, which it isn't. Um, He goes on to write, horrible, bro, your version of good music, (laughs) good is in quotation marks, horrible, bro, your version of good music is different than a lot of people's. He gets credit for making a lot, two words. And the way you talk about your music, as if it's the only music in the world that everyone should love, it's not, bro. It's not. Last night's horrible music on our show, uh, that our playlist for the day after Valentine's Day, included Duke Ellington, David Bowie, George Harrison, Ray Charles, Megan the Stallion, Chet Baker, and Donna Summer. I, I, I don't understand his grievance. And I, I, I told him that, then he wrote back, maybe play some current music, some 80s music. OK, I don't look, I, I'm not going to claim to be the smartest guy, but I, I don't know how to teach you that 80s music isn't current. It's wonderful. I love 80s music, but uh, no, I, it's 40 years old guy. Now, 80s music is music that almost everyone likes. Do, do you love that an entire decade's worth of music has been condensed into one genre, you know, eighty so so eighties music we're talking about New Order. Uh we're talking about uh, Rick Astley. It's the same. It's eighties music, right? Run DMC and Rick Astley. It's, it's I, I I I mean I mean I, I don't even <laughs> um Joy Division. And Michael Bolton. That's 80s music. So uh, not most of that crap you mentioned above. I'm only with Donna Summer and Duke Ellington. Maybe mixing some rock music. ACDC, Prince. And then he attacks me for playing too much 70s music. I'm sorry. The only 70s music we played was David Bowie and George Harrison. I'm sorry that's not your thing and you prefer 80s. We play a lot of 80s music. We try to play a lot of new music. Try to play all kinds of stuff. Jazz, country, rock and roll, hip hop. Thanks for weighing in. I do appreciate it. We'll continue to play as eclectic a mix as we can. Now let's get to uh, the real story tonight. As you've heard by now, Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania has checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Medical Center to receive treatment for clinical depression. The senator famously had a stroke last year after achieving the Democratic nomination for the Senate. And while running against Dr. Oz, he sought treatment and he began his recovery in a very public way. Now if you have ever known someone, loved someone who's had a stroke, if you've ever endured a stroke yourself, you know how difficult it can be. I watched my grandmother lose all ability to use her left side. She could not speak for the final five years of her life. The only word she could say was no. Joe Kennedy Sr. had the same affliction when he had his stroke. For the last several years of his life, the Kennedy patriarch could only say the word no. If you've ever lived with someone and loved someone who's had a stroke, you know how helpless you can feel. And you're probably, if you've ever loved someone who's surviving a stroke and recovering, you're probably as in awe of John Fetterman as I was for continuing his campaign. This guy has such a deep commitment to working men and women of America, such a deep commitment to social justice, such a deep commitment to every kind of reform this country needs, from police reform to reforming our health care access system. The statement from his office says while John has experienced depression off and on throughout his life, it only became severe in recent weeks. The statement continues On Monday, John was evaluated by Dr. Brian Monahan, attending physician of the U.S. Congress. Yesterday, Dr. Monahan recommended inpatient care at Walter Reed. John agreed, and he is receiving treatment on a voluntary basis. After examining John, the doctors at Walter Reed told us that John is getting the care he needs and will soon be back to himself. I can't begin to explain. How historic and inspiring and brave and I guess what the kids would call big dick energy this represents. Senator Fetterman's wife, Giselle, tweeted out a statement saying after what he's been through in the past year, there's probably no one who wanted to talk about his own health less than John. I'm so proud of him for asking for help and getting the care he needs. Now, look, like like many people who are recovering from a stroke, John Fetterman, struggle with depression, and it's gotten severe lately. And he, again, Fetterman's not the first male in our government to suffer from depression. He's not the first male senator to suffer from depression. I think he's the first male senator to publicly admit he's seeking treatment for depression. He could have lied, right? He could have said it was exhaustion, right? He could have he, he said he'd become dependent on painkillers. He could have said anything. But he told the truth, because depression is real. And mental health is integral to full and complete health. And this is something that, by the way, you know, we've been talking about communicating to vets for decades, to the military for decades. We talk all the time about how important it is for our servicemen, for the veterans of foreign wars to have access to mental health care. The right wing in their efforts to avoid a national dialogue like adults would have on gun murders talks about the importance of mental health care. This was a very brave decision by John Fetterman. And I'm gonna say this now, I believe in my heart, it's a decision that's gonna save American lives. There are guys who would not have sought treatment, who will now because of Fetterman's example. Women too, but let's be honest, women are light years ahead of men when it comes to seeking treatment for your problems. Men are, what's the word I'm looking for? Groomed to be ashamed of illness. This is so historic. I mean, what happened today is so much bigger than John Fetterman. In the ongoing struggle to reduce the stigma of mental health, John Fetterman's decision to go public about this and tell the truth will be taught in textbooks in our lifetimes. And the Republican trolls were out for it. This guy checks into Walter Reed for treatment of depression and right wing douchebags very predictably are exploiting this to try to say he's not fit to serve you've got to see these soulless stigmatizing fascists make political hay from this man's struggle i had one troll say john fetterman is one weak ass individual now can i explain there's nothing more weak ass than being an amoral coward on twitter who lacks the manhood to show his name and face okay if if you go on twitter you don't have to show your name and face you can be anonymous that's one of the perks i get it um but then don't call men weak your mother raised an unmanly little chicken shit and you know it he's in the nut house nothing to be proud of i got someone say that to me he's in the nut house he's in freaking walter reed and can i talk about lionel you guys know Lionel. lionel lebron i've known lionel for many years He's a talk radio mainstay here in New York. And for a while, he was uh, an afternoon guy on Air America. His show replaced Sam Cedar and tanked Sam's entire audience. Lionel used to be very liberal. Lionel has been, I I would say, excessive MAGA is an understatement. And uh, he tweeted earlier, Dem Senator John Fetterman checked himself into Walter Reed, National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland on Wednesday to receive treatment for clinical depression. The man should never have been allowed to be seated as a senator, period. I apologize if I triggered you with the accuracy of that impression. This guy was a friend of mine. Lipless Nepofascist fascist Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller tweeted out a picture and said, campaigning is not for the weak of health. Yes, but Tucker Carlson is for the week of empathy. Men, it is OK to seek help. Stigma is the number one barrier to men seeking treatment. But making the choice whether or not you do so in public is a sign of strength. Mocking men who are trying to save their lives is weakness personified. Admitting you need help is an act of courage for anyone of any station, any age, any background, any race. But in someone as, as, as famous as a U.S. senator, it's kind of heroic. And, and again, can I just say to the trolls, John Fetterman recovering from a stroke and being treated for depression and in a coma and on fire, and with an alien popping out of his chest, is still more moral and more honest than Dr. Oz on his best day. I mean, think about how much John Fetterman loves America. He could have dropped out of the race when he had his stroke. But then we would have had Dr. Oz as a senator. He stayed in the race because he cares about women's rights he cares about children he cares about health care he cares about immigrants and he cares about the hard working conservative white men who are being brainwashed to despise him and there's still this stigma in America around mental health care Americans are dying because of the shame that is connected to seeking out treatment this is also why many people with many different kinds of disabilities are afraid to advocate, they're afraid to be vocal, they're afraid to go public about their disabilities. As always, the American right wing chose to be the voice of cruelty, the voice of insensitivity, the voice of profound ignorance, and most importantly, the voice of the past, the way things used to be, the shitty, small dick energy, faux macho male paradigm. Guys, this is why suicide rates are so high. You know go go on Twitter and just just search the words um, Fetterman resign. And better yet don't. Y- you know what it's going to be like. Just look at the right wing's reaction to Senator Fetterman trying to get help. No man wants to be smeared in public as weak or unfit. That's why so many men hide. Depression is not weakness. It's a medical diagnosis, and it's often attendant to other medical health issues. So anybody who thinks the people who battle their illnesses are weak shows how weak their judgment and their character are. If, if, I'm, if I'm not getting the point across, don't listen to these amoral, profoundly weak little bitches that are trying to scorn John Fetterman's bravery. I, I, look, and I like John Fetterman's politics, so I admit I'm biased here. But every single human who struggles with mental illness and everyone who loves a person who struggles with mental illness understand this battle. Healing is not linear. I'd like to believe this is something that right wing and left wing people can agree on. It takes so much courage to have this fight, both in the dark days and on the good days. But either you have empathy and compassion or you don't. That's it. I mean, at the core of all of our politics. Either you're a human with empathy and compassion, who understands that empathy and compassion will save us, who understands that empathy and compassion is good for national character. It's good for morality. It's good for capitalism. Now, we don't know definitively what it is that links a stroke to clinical depression. I mean, is it psychological? Is it biological? Is it a combination? A lot of depressed people's symptoms like change in appetite, sleep patterns thoughts of suicide, low energy levels, those can also be overlapping with people who are recovering from a stroke. So depression is easy to miss, especially if you're recovering from a stroke, but if you're dealing with any kind of physical health problem. The uh, Daily Beast talked to Dr. Amatis Tofigi, who said about one in three stroke survivors develop depression at some point after their stroke. It's quite common. It's something that as stroke neurologists, we're always on the lookout for. And the symptoms can vary, and they're different in every patient. But They say post-stroke depression should be looked at like any other medical condition. And again, learning to cope with depression is hard enough. Learning to recover from a stroke is hard enough. Stroke recovery takes a long time. Imagine the strength to be recovering from a stroke and depression and then go public about it. And I'm not overlooking the irony that John Fetterman is getting inpatient care at Walter Reed Military Hospital while millions of veterans can't get the mental health care they need to stay alive. And if that makes you angry, then you should be supporting universal health care. Single paya for every playa. You've probably lost people to depression in your life. I have. I'm also, I, I guess I'm a complete fraud if I don't come out and say this. I, I've struggled with it. Is "struggled with it the right phrase? Uh, no, I haven't. I've, I've, I've let it wash over me. I was raised in a particular kind of Catholic upbringing where I thought the more I beat myself up, the more God would find favor with me. I was raised to think that self-abuse mentally meant you were a good person. They programmed my mother with that when she was in the convent, that the more you hate yourself, the more humble you are, the more you lower yourself and recognize your inherent badness, God will appreciate that. I grew up with that bullshit because my mother had it physically beaten into her in the convent. There are men right now, and, and I've sought therapy. I've, I've, I've been in, in therapy for years. I've driven therapists to therapy. I've also helped therapists be able to buy a boat. There's guys who are gonna feel less stigmatized to seek help now because of what Fetterman did. This guy showed incredible strength. I can't imagine any bill he could pass into law in the Senate that would have anywhere near the impact historically as what he did today. There are men and women who fight with depression and ADHD and anxiety. And because of Senator Fetterman's candor, they too will seek treatment. How many struggling guys have not dealt with clinical depression? How many struggling men, both conservatives and liberal, have been afraid to say they need help because of the stigma? Lincoln suffered from depression. Now, a weak man would deny there's a problem. They would try to hide it. That's weakness. John Fetterman's not weak that way. By the way, talk to millennials about this. Talk to Gen Z about this. They get it better than older people do because while mental health treatment does carry a stigma for some generations, our young people today are the first ones to prioritize it. Gen Z and whatever comes next, they're not going to have the same stigma. They're going to realize how stupid it is to have a problem and not get it looked at. I'm glad he's getting the support he needs at Walter Reed, and I'm inspired that he's being open about his struggle. I hope it encourages other people, including conservative guys, to seek help there are conservative men who will probably find the strength to talk to someone because of what Fetterman did today. I want to quote a great humanitarian, TB's Frank, Frank Conniff, who tweeted today, a United States senator should be a role model and set a good example for people to follow. This is a prime example of that. I believe John Fetterman is the bravest and strongest politician in America right now. And Frank would know, look, I've been preaching about this and I'm sorry, but if you're going through shit and you don't know how to handle it, just reach out. Talk to somebody. It doesn't have to solve all your problems right away. No one conversation, no one therapist is going to solve all your problems right away, but it helps. Believe me, I have a black belt and a PhD in closing off when things get hard. You are not alone. The U.S. Suicide Hotline number is 800 273 8255. That's 800 273 TALK. My brother Paul is a therapist. He started a nonprofit. For people who can't afford therapy, that hooks all kinds of people, even low income people, up with therapists who work on sliding scales to do sessions via Zoom. It's called Open Path Psychotherapy Collective. If you want to seek therapy, but you don't think you can afford it, go to openpathcollective.org. If you have creeped out that it's my brother's group, then go find another one. But there are people out there who can help. There are people who listen. Again, the Suicide Hotline, 800 273 Talk or Now you can just call or text 988-988. Depression is real. Mental health is real. And it's okay to not be okay. I mean, imagine if you can, an alternate universe where instead of John Fetterman, we got Senator Oz. If that happened, there'd be millions of us seeking treatment for depression. Normalize seeking mental health care. That's what Fetterman did today. I'll say it again. Normalize seeking mental health care.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The
2: more
1: muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash
3: metaverseimpact.
2: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: I'm John Fugles saying this is Sirius XM Progress. I'm so happy to welcome Professor Corey Bretschneider back to the show. He is a superhero at the poli-sci department at Brown University, where he teaches, well, uh, politics and political science. Since the 2016 election, however, he's been writing amazing pieces about politics and fascism in the New York Times, Time Magazine. You must own his book, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It's a book that I give as a gift to people. And also check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. Welcome back, Professor Brett Schneider.
3: Uh, thanks, Sean. Looking forward to talking. Thanks. Also, I have to thank you for that great interview uh, with Fatna Boss about her novel Ghost Season uh, last week. You know, I, I didn't say much, but it was really a pleasure to, to be with the two of you.
1: Every time you have brought um, a guest with you onto the show, Professor, it's always been uh, enriching for me and for our listeners. And she was just brilliant. Her novel is brilliant. And uh, I encourage everyone to pick up a copy of Ghost Season. I, I, I hope that she uh, enjoyed the interview and wasn't too put off by all of my jokes.
3: No, not at all. And, you know, it was one of those interviews where it was a pleasure to take a, a back seat because I thought you just really got into the symbols and the details of that novel, and what's amazing about it is how it's intertwined with the politics of Sudan, and and that really came out in your questions about uh, not just the novel, but also her personal story, so it was a masterful
1: interview. You know, Corey, you know, they, they, they don't give this job to chimps. I don't know if you know that they don't yeah. give this job to chimps. Yeah, um, they do not. I'm glad to be interviewing you this week, though, because Professor, I—I I guess it was too much to expect Mike Pence to man up and do the right thing and testify before a <laughs> grand jury without having a long, public, pathetic fight. Um, the, the vice president's former vice president's lawyers are challenging the subpoena Jack Smith served on a rather curious ground here they're claiming that the speech and debate clause of the constitution yeah. protects from disclosure the conversations he had with ex-president Trump about you know breaking a whole lot of laws and using the constitution on his toilet paper on January 6th <laughs> what, 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 what is your initial take on this and how has your take evolved over the week it's just I, I'm I dying have to, to know.
3: say I mean when I, when I first saw that Pence is challenging the, the subpoena i thought oh what like what a you know how lame of course this is the guy that basically trump almost got him killed on january 6th yeah. you think that he should be the first person to volunteer to answer the subpoena and then i saw how he was doing it, and i thought you know both how lame and wow as a constitutional law scholar and professor how cool i mean <laughs> it's actually a pretty good argument it's fascinating argument more, the more I think about it and look into it. And I had in law school this amazing class about different ways that various roles give you immunity. And and this is a big one. You know, being a member of Congress does give you, at least in relation to your official duties, uh, uh, immunity from prosecution in some cases and in others at least from uh, having to testify. It's like Mm -hmm. spousal immunity in in that sense, but it does give you certain rights, I guess, against um subpoenas that others don't. So it's a it's a as a lawyer uh, lawyerly argument it's a um you know a really interesting one. And it is. we should get into the details of uh, it let, but, let's do the, yes. <laughs> let's,
1: let's the details about it because i've been waiting all week to talk about this with you uh yeah. i will confess um i'm not the brightest guy shiny things confuse ah. me but i've been reading up on the speech and debate clause all week and um I, i'm going to read it i'll skip from the beginning to the end it That's just great. starts off by saying the senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law to be paid out of the treasury of the u.s uh blah, 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 blah. and then it the big finish is you know things they have to do they shall be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses and in going to and returning from the same and for any speech or debate in either house they shall not be questioned in any other place mike pence is arguing tell me if i'm getting this wrong that because he was performing his duty as president of the senate therefore Mm -hmm. the clause should protect him from having to put his hand in a bible and tell a grand jury about his conversations with donald trump about his treason
3: Right. And that in in any other place, is a reference, uh, Pence is arguing, and, you know, this part is is right to the idea that there are certain immunities from uh, having to pay subpoenas, having to testify just, again, as as a spouse would not have to uh, testify against another spouse. There are are these narrow exceptions to the rule that that no person is above the law, and (laughs) this seems to be one of them. Now, what's interesting about it, you've said this, but I don't want listeners to miss it. You, you know, normally it's a like I'm going to talk about the case involving Senator Mike Gravel and the Pentagon Papers. It's it's members of Congress in the traditional sense. Now, Pence is arguably a member of Congress in a capacity, and that's the capacity is the President of the Senate, which the Vice President is. That's why he was presiding on January 6 over the certification of the electoral votes. So, what he's going to argue is that in that that all of the events of January sixth were connected not to his role as vice President, but as his role as the president of the Senate. And if he's going to be asked questions about that role, uh, he can just say, no, I don't want to answer because uh, of this speech and debate clause just as the senator uh, or a congressman could.
1: Well, let me let me tell you my problem with that whole defense and tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Um, When I look at the uh, once again, the speech and debate clause, which I read most of a few minutes ago, Mm. um, let me read to you again the uh, the first four words of it, the Mm -hmm. senators and representatives shall receive a compensation, blah, 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 blah. They shall not right. be questioned in any other place. Thus, senators, right. and re, literally, it defines the subject of this clause yeah. as the senators and representatives. It does not include the vice president for his occasional duties. He must perform as president of the Senate.
3: Yeah, I think that in the most narrow sense, he's not a senator, uh, but he is a member of the Senate. <laughs> he's, the, he's actually the president. So right. that's what, that's how it's going to go, and we're going to be arguing against yeah. that, that question. One thing that helps them is the case law. And the text is always exactly the the right move to begin with these questions. And then we start thinking about, well, what have people said about these meanings? One other thing that helps Pence is a case involving Senator Mike Gravel during the um, Nixon era. um, Of course, Daniel Ellsberg leaks the Pentagon Papers. And then one of the things, maybe less well known, that he tries to do is to get Senator Gravel to read the Pentagon Papers on the floor of the United States Senate. And actually, there's a prosecution. Uh, there, there's a prosecution of Ellsberg, but also of a a Senate staffer working for Gravel. And what the Supreme Court said in that case, asking whether or not the Speech and Debate Clause protected not just Gravel, and and that's pretty clear that it that it does, right. but this staffer said <laughs> that it is broader than just the members of the Senate. That because the staffer was acting in his capacity for the Senate. For a United States senator, the the meaning was broader than the than Gravel himself, even though prosecutors right. tried to narrow it. So that's kind of interesting. It suggests that there's a principle here that's broader than just the word senator. And I think, you know, i got to say on that one, there is another reason why I'm going to say I, I, I don't think ultimately this is should be successful. And I, I don't think it will be. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> but on that
3: specific point, which is an interesting one, I think I think he's got that argument.
1: Well, if, if I may, if I may, Professor, um, I know Mike Ravel. I interviewed Mike <laughs> Ravel on my TV show. Mike Pence is no Mike Ravel, Professor. Uh, uh, I, 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 I appreciate that. the fact that Mike Pence but is paying you know lawyers. Mike staff. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I, look, I, I, I appreciate how hard Pence is fighting to not have to tell law enforcement the truth and facts about Donald Trump. I get it. But at the bad. end of the day, this is, this is just him trying to buy a delay. That's all. This is being litigated. And like all of these guys, they just want this thing to go away and ride out the clock as long as they can and hope that there's a Republican president to make it all go away very soon. Pence isn't doing this out of any sense of honor or any sense of adherence to the speech and debate clause. He's doing this because he's stalling.
3: Yes, I think that's right. And ultimately, I have to say, I don't think it'll work because although he, he has a claim here, the idea that everything that he knows related to January 6th, is related to his specific role in certifying the votes, I think is wrong. For one thing, and this gets us deep into January 6th, what Trump was claiming is that he had these, that Pence had this vast <laughs> power on January 6th to basically decertify the election. That was a lie, that was the false claim. Yep. All he's supposed to do is really sit there and read out the votes. So if, if that's the official duty that he has protection for, it's pretty narrow and the subpoena's yep. gonna cover Things that are way broader than that, and that's why I think ultimately, while it's an interesting constitutional issue, that it's going to provide—I can't imagine it's going to provide blanket immunity from any subpoena.
1: Fascinating. I mean, it's going to be really interesting seeing how this plays out. You know, I just want to say, when you need to call Dan Quayle for advice on how to not commit (laughs) treason, you know that we
3: forget that Dan Quayle saved us. You know, Dan Quayle saved saved, that. That's how
1: low we've come. (laughs) They're not the party of Lincoln. They're not even the party of Quayle. But, you know, it it is telling uh, on the same week that all this happens. We find out one of the reasons why Mike Pence, like many Republicans, doesn't want to have to put their hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth in a court of Mm -hmm. law. Because we've now heard that the grand jury in the Georgia Trump inquiry about his election fraud, which he was smart enough to do on the phone, on tape, has said that they uh, can't find any evidence of any vote fraud in 2020 in the state of Georgia. But they do see evidence of perjury by certain witnesses. And we're talking maybe Giuliani, maybe David Schaefer, head of the Georgia GOP, maybe Lindsey Graham, maybe Mark Meadows. This story seems potentially huge.
3: I think so. I mean, we're getting a little window into what happened with this grand jury and the way that they're thinking about things. We're still waiting for the decision of prosecutors along with the grand jury. They'll decide together whether or not to indict the president. Um, And, uh, you know, it's not looking good for Trump. The idea that they reject any plausible claim that there was fraud suggests that they've gone on now to think about whether or not crimes were committed in claiming that. And uh, the fact that they're claiming perjury by witnesses also suggests, like, what, what, what was the perjury about? It's about uh, an attempt to exonerate the president and uh, the former president. And, and my mind reading the tea leaves, and, you know, I tend to be hopeful about these things. It looks like they're pushing towards guilt. One thing that's really interesting here to think about, and, and this was the case, as I'll talk about in, in the book that I'm writing now with the Nixon grand jury, uh, what do you do when the prosecutor and the grand jurors are split about what to do? You know, the grand jury is supposed to be the representatives of the people in bring forth an indictment, but the reality yeah. is that prosecutors have an enormous power here. Uh, so it gives us a clue into the, what's in the grand jury's head. Now, what's the prosecutor going to do? Are they going to resist that grand jury? Are they going to go along with it? Uh, that's really the key to, to to the ultimate question of whether or not Trump's going to be indicted here. But it's, you know, I've gone from thinking, uh, not knowing really at all what's going on with this case to thinking that we might actually see for the first time in American history, the prosecution of a former president.
1: I mean, this whole case began because Donald Trump, we all heard the tapes. He he was pressuring Georgia election officials not to make sure all the votes were counted, not to make sure the election was legit, but to find him just 11,000, whatever it was, votes. So he wouldn't lose the state. He's on tape calling for them to rig it so he can steal the election. This grand jury met for nearly seven months in Atlanta debating on this, investigating this. They've come and I find it very telling that a judge has released a few pages. This is, you know, this is nothing Fonnie Willis did. The judge released a few pages of excerpts which told us that after seven months, this grand jury found no evidence of fraud um, whatsoever. But they found evidence of lies. So, I mean, it seems like this could be very bad news for Trump. But if they're talking perjury, that doesn't pertain to Donald Trump. He doesn't testify. This yeah. might be another case of just trying to get another little fish to see if it leads to a big fish. If they have Lindsey Graham, if they have Mark Meadows on perjury, we know what they're going to do. They're going to try to squeeze those guys to get them to give up Trump. That's been the game yeah. for years now. And I don't know if that game works.
3: Yeah. I mean, the fact that we have the tape is so damning. It's just so shocking to hear, even for, you know, well, I mean, I guess we're used to it. We've seen a lot of things like this. It's like the call with the president of the Ukraine. He just really shows himself to be guilty by asking for, as you say, the exact number of votes that he needs to win the election, complete indifference to the question of whether or not those votes were actually cast for him or not. And he's really seeking to persuade an elected official to, uh, not just to fail in, in his duty, but to, to, to commit fraud. And, uh, you know, that looks like a crime to me, just as it looked like an impeachable offense when he told Zelensky uh, that, you know, he wanted a favor in exchange for, for basic weapons to defend themselves from Russia. It turns out that was a pretty important part of uh, world politics. I think, too, you're right, uh, just to go back to your point about Pence, I don't, I don't want listeners... To, to, to lose this. The second you begin to testify, you open yourself up to uh, worries about perjury. And Pence is trying to walk this just really awkward line between having been essentially the victim in many ways of the assault on the Capitol, uh, having his life in danger and really fleeing for his life and also not wanting to alienate Trump's base and seeing uh, the course. Be, uh, you know, ratting them out. <laughs> so,
1: well, I mean, so this Mike, this a good Mike, example Mike,
3: of, of how yeah. that could get tangled. Ah, uh, oh, they
1: all the, want to get uh, the votes of people who want to hang them. Um, before right. I let you go, Professor, <laughs> I'd I'd love to ask your thoughts on uh, Diane Feinstein's announcement that she will not be seeking re-election. I mean, we've talked about her as a trailblazer, both in terms of her representation mm-hmm. of mayor of San Francisco and the first woman senator from, from California. But, you know, I haven't heard too many people talk about her work on the Judiciary Committee.
3: Yeah, there are really two things that I wanted to highlight uh, in tribute to her. The first is that um, uh, when she really first came to the Senate, she used that position on the Judiciary Committee to lobby for an assault weapons ban, of course, famously, and I'm sure you've been talking about this. She uh, was in the midst of the uh, murder um, uh, of Harvey Milk, Harvey Milk. the mayor of San Francisco. She found and, his body, uh, didn't she? Really she was
1: th- She was the one who discovered his body.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, wow. when I say in the midst of uh, literally in City Hall, Amazing. and uh, she pushed on that from that perch uh, in, uh, an amendment into the crime bill to, to include an assault weapons ban and was instrumental in that. So that was a crucial thing that she did. The second is I think if you look back before Diane Anne Feinstein, one of the most infamous moments in Senate Judiciary Committee history, this is the committee, of course, that confirms or doesn't confirm Supreme Court justices, was the treatment of Anita Hill um, in her accusations against Clarence Thomas. And it was just pretty appalling the way that she was treated by this then all-male committee. And then Feinstein's mere presence, I think, as a woman finally on the Judiciary Committee at least provided a counterbalance. (laughs) And, you know, it's not a shock that she played a, a real role in the opposition, failed opposition, unfortunately, but the serious opposition to Kavanaugh's nomination.
1: That's true. That's true. I give her credit for, you know, the assault weapons bill as well. Uh, You know, I've criticized her many times over the years um, for her connections and her husband's connections and the finances and the war and all that. But there's Mm -hmm. no way you can take away the trailblazing she did and the very progressive agenda that she fought for.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just, you know, the contrast between an all-male committee and its treatment of of very serious accusations of, uh, sexual harassment um her and memory. and and as bad as Kavanaugh was and as bad as the failure to stop him was it it wasn't the same treatment of Blasey Ford that uh, Anita Hill received and I think her That's presence true. had a lot to do with it with that difference
1: it's a real it's it's very true do you think it was wrong uh, of Biden to call Anita Hill as a witness
3: um you know, so That's much was wrong conversation, I know. With, with that moment. I think that there was a clear failure to protect her once they had made that decision. And, you know, if you're going to bring her forth, I think, yes, Biden uh, really did not do the thing he should have done to ensure as you know, the the chairman of that committee. Mm. I
1: I would love to talk about that with you sometime, actually, and go deep on it. It's totally off base, but I thank you for this. I'm horrified that you're right about Mike Pence, and he's going to be successful at using this. We'll have to wait and see how it pans out. Professor Brett Schneider, thank you so much for joining us every week. It really is a pleasure to have you come here and class up this joint. Thank you once again.
3: Thanks, John. Talk to you soon.
1: Have a great evening. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. I'm John Saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We are taking your calls all night long at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. Let's go to the phones for a bit, shall we? Hello to Bill in New Jersey. Hi, Bill. Welcome.
2: How are you doing?
1: Very good, sir. How are you?
2: All right. Uh, who's older, uh, Mick Jagger or Biden? Uh,
1: Biden.
2: Biden. Biden, how much? Because I thought they were both in...
1: I think Jagger's 78 and Biden's 80.
2: Oh, I see. So when Jagger gets to 80, he's going to just fall apart, right? Uh,
1: Well, again, Mick Jagger's 78, but I'm pretty sure parts of him might be a lot younger.
2: Right. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, you were talking about depression, and especially after you've had a traumatic event. uh, My uh, shrink says almost all depression is the result of trauma, and the trauma being uh my father died from heart disease very young and I'm so sorry. my brother that's okay and my brother has had problems with it uh and as soon as it happened they went into deep depression because they saw their own mortality yeah and my father who was like a type A personality he was like a business leader and very funny He had like 168 IQ and he could uh uh he was just a really good person but once he had the uh the the second heart attack he just turned into a uh, a pushover he was uh, he he you know you could just lead him around pretty much at some point. Mm. and i myself have suffered from depression for a long time uh and it's all traumatically related uh I I don't want to go into too much, but um, I was in a bad marriage and we had a child. And uh, at the point of the divorce, he had me uh, charged with uh, raping my daughter.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Which wasn't true. And I had to do DNA tests, go to the county sheriff. I couldn't see my daughter for like 60 days because, out of, you know, um, because in case I really am that kind of a person. Of they, course,
1: of course. I understand. Them.
2: Right. And it took six weeks before I could see her. I had, I had to meet her once a week on a playground and pay for a, um, a psychologist to, to watch us at uh, play and yeah. everything. And at first, at first, after this, she was calling me Bill. She wouldn't call me Daddy or anything. Wow. And that took a long time, and it, it's just very difficult. And, uh, you know, all that stuff that goes on, it, it's hard. Plus, the worst part was I had a shithead lawyer who was a big deal on Fifth Avenue, and uh, he told me I couldn't see a psychiatrist because they can use them as a witness in court, which is true. Right. So for six years, I went without a psychiatrist or anything, and Uh. I held it all inside. And uh, finally, I I, I found another guy who was really nice. Actually, I found him through through a bar. Anyway, uh, so. so
1: How is your relationship with your daughter today, Bill?
2: Oh, it's great. Uh, We love each other. It's like, you know, nothing happened and everything. And uh, And does she remember
1: all the? Does she remember all this?
2: We don't talk about it much. I mean how is we, her relationship
1: with her mother? It. How's your daughter's relationship with with your ex?
2: Uh well she lives with her, so it it's okay. Her mother has some real problems. And I'm I'm at a point where I can talk to her and I, I know it's not me, it's her and whatever the circumstances are. And also at the exact same time was when nine eleven happened oh, and yeah. I saw one in the building's wall, and then for the next three years, I was producing photography exhibits on 9-11, oh,
1: looking at God. those photos
2: over and over again for three years, editing, having them mounted. I had to do 29 exhibits for the State Department, you know, Colin Powell at the time they sent around to the uh, different embassy all over the world trying to get sympathy, showing, right. you know, what happened. And uh, it was... Well, all that happening at once was really, really, really difficult. I'm and, so sorry
1: uh, that your family went through all this, and I'm glad your relationship with your daughter yeah. is, is good today. But you you make a very good point. I've never heard that said mm-hmm. before, that all depression comes from trauma, but that can cover everything, can it? From from physical injury and illness, to assault and mm-hmm. battery, to just being treated right. by family, to, to things that you don't even remember, to, to, to memories that we can't even touch, but we still live with the echoes and the pain from them.
2: Well, because you suppressed it.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. Right. And
2: uh, the brain I never figure it out. It's just so complicated. It's just so many, you know, things that can go. It's like a three dimensional chess. You know, yeah. you, you try. To, you can't do it laterally or anything like that. You have to think different dimensions. But um, you know, I'm happy. I still have to take a lot of drugs and stuff, uh, right. which I'm not that happy about. But you do things, and then this last year was really tough because. Uh, a year ago, my mother died. Yes, and then a couple of weeks later, my favorite uncle died. And then, I'm so sorry. A couple of weeks later, my best friend for fifty years died. And so you're really
1: uh, going through it. You're really going. Do you, right, do you, you that, talk to a therapist then, now?
2: Oh yeah, I've been one for years. And uh, and then uh, in the spring, my uh, girlfriend dumped me.
1: After I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay, Well, at yeah. least you listened to this show to remind you how much worse it could be. And I, I thank you for that. There's lots of people who suffer from morbid depression and they listen to me for 20 minutes and they realize, oh, my God, I'm, I'm doing better than that guy. So that's thank you for calling, experience. Bill. Thank yeah. you very much for sharing your story. I really do appreciate my it. Pleasure. We are at 866-997-4748. We're going to be back in a second. Before I go, though, can I just say something? You want to hear a good story? You want to hear something positive? Moderna was criticized from all sides last month when it was reported they were considering jacking up the price of their vaccine more than 400 percent to 130 dollars per dose remember that we were all outraged and the white house said they were gonna you know have the end of a public health emergency in may which would have left so many uninsured americans paying out of pocket can you imagine if poor people suddenly had to pay 130 dollars for their covid vaccine so bernie sanders gave an interview In the Washington Post yesterday and he said that he was going after the CEO of Moderna he said we're gonna ask them hey you made billions of dollars in profit on a vaccine that was developed because of taxpayer support you have become a multi-billionaire and now you think it's appropriate to cost the federal government even more money by quadrupling prices Bernie said I hope I really do hope that these people will reconsider this outrageous decision and decide not to raise prices for the vaccine Can we have Bernie Sanders come out to put the fear of Jesus in more CEOs? Because just hours after this interview where Bernie promised he would question Moderna's CEO in a Senate hearing next month about quadrupling the price of the COVID vaccine, Moderna abruptly canceled those plans and they put out a statement saying their vaccine will remain free to all consumers, quote, regardless of their ability to pay End quote. And that's why we like Bernie Sanders. More of that, please. It's very good news. Quick break. When we come back, more of your calls. This is Sirius XM Progress. We'll be right back. I'm John Fugelsang. saying this is Progress After Dark. I got to I got to share this story because it shocked me so much. Did you hear about this guy, Chris Hines? He's a a council person in Denver and he is running for re-election. and he uses a wheelchair. He's a disabled American and public servant. And he had to do an election debate this Monday and it was held in a venue in Denver that doesn't have wheelchair access. So he had no choice. The only way Mr. Hines could get onto the stage was to physically crawl onto the stage in full view of the crowd with everyone watching. And he said later he had no choice because if he had given up, if he had refused, according to the Denver Post, if he had refused to get out of his wheelchair and crawl on the stage, he would have had to forfeit about $125,000 in campaign financing. Chris Hines said to the Post, it was a choice between my campaign's viability for my dignity. And I'm afraid it gets worse because after he got out of his electric wheelchair and he crawled onto the stage, the organizers were not able to lift his chair onto the stage for him to sit in it during the debate. He has an electric wheelchair. It weighs about 600 pounds. So he crawled on the stage, this poor man, and then they couldn't lift the wheelchair on the stage. So he had to crawl off the stage And the entire debate took place on the ground in front of the stage. Just awful. And he he said to the Denverite, the whole point of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed a lot more than three decades ago, was that we wouldn't have public humiliation like this. The only bright side I can think of is that I'm talking about it on the radio. Other media is covering it. Maybe this is going to be the best press Chris Hines ever had. And his bravery... And commitment to public service will inspire voters to turn out in droves and re-elect him. I sure hope so. What an awful story! This is serious except progress. We have happy stories coming up too, but let's get to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748, And some of y'all been on hold a very long time. I gotta thank you and hug you and kiss you and tell you it's gonna be okay. Lana in Tennessee, welcome and thank you for waiting.
0: You're welcome, dear. It's been a while. Yes, I, it has. Since I called in, actually, I was just thinking about it while I was on hold. That I think the last time I called in was when I got COVID the first time <laughs> last fall.
1: The first and, time um, that I doesn't just, sound was, good. When, 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 when <laughs>
0: yeah, was the? Man, I just hope the that I got it again last month,
1: toward
0: oh, no. the end of the month, and I am um, three weeks post. You know. Can I ask COVID. questions about this?
1: Can, can I ask you about it? Did yeah, you did go ahead. You, you did you get shots and boosters and all that?
0: Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, I've, so been, how, uh, I've been, and I, it was all Moderna, too, which I think was really upset when you told that story about Moderna. But, wow. um, well, I, I guess I'm happy now because they, they actually, you know, stepped
1: but up. But how, how, did, how, did, how was your, your second time but, getting it, Lana? Like, what was your experience with getting a second um, time? Was it a breeze yeah, or did it take a no, toll on you?
0: No, no. um, I, you know, I isolated from my husband because I didn't want him to get it right um because he has parkinson's now and um so uh you know he has he has it hard enough you know so um and but my company i I told you this the last time i got it um they said that i i could only take five days you know and then as, as you know as soon as i didn't have a fever no matter how i felt even if i tested positive if i didn't have a fever i should be back in the truck driving and um, my co-driver boxed it back, <laughs> as did I, and um, and I told him, okay, I you know just dock me for the days because I'm not coming back after five days because I still felt kind of crappy. But to you. be honest with you, John, I know it's thank thank God for the vaccine because you know I'll be. I'll be 59 in two days. On Saturday, I'll be 59. Happy birthday, and love so I'm kind of getting... Thank you. And um, I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm in the high-risk group. I have high blood pressure and a couple of other issues. So, but, but I know that the vaccine kept me from having to go into the hospital and, God forbid, dying like my mother did two years ago from COVID. So I really... Um, I've had colds. You know, I've had the flu that was worse than...
1: Yeah, same.
0: That I had COVID. Same. My my son had my my son had
1: COVID. It was a breeze, and then um, a couple months later, he had the flu, and that knocked him out. I mean, for me, my COVID was mild, but then but then I got I got long COVID, and I was I was sick for most of last year with long COVID. But I was glad I had my shots because it would have been worse.
0: I've got the lingering like nasal congestion, and I know I sound a little nasal still, but you know that that's really the only thing that's kind of annoying. (laughs) But I'll take that over <laughs> being really, really sick and, and, you know, struggling to breathe on a ventilator. So, wow. you know, oh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that, that's that's that. Oh, also, um, Mick Jagger will be 80 this year.
1: He will be 80. OK, there you go.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. He was born in 1943. I knew that because he, he was born the same year My auntie was. So yes. um, anyway, i um, all the, the cool guys. Are, by the way,
1: everyone cool is 80 right now. Like Harrison Ford <laughs> exactly. and Joe Biden and Martin <laughs> no. Scorsese, Carol Kane. I Carol Kane just turned 81 know. this week. But yeah.
0: yeah. You know, some of them are hitting their stride, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I called because um, I, I went into therapy last fall because I, I was really kind of in a downward spiral because um, when my mother died in 21, my two brothers are... I don't really have a good relationship with either one of them. They're kind of bullies and they're hardcore, you know, Trumpers and, and it's, it's just really difficult.
1: Right. God bless. But I gotta... they're,
0: they're kind of bullying me with this whole, you know, dealing with her estate and all this stuff. And, and then, you know, I, then my husband got diagnosed with Parkinson's about a month ago. I'm so you know, sorry. So we're we'll that. And You're walking you know,
1: through the
0: fire, Lana. I've had, I know I've had so much on my plate and that, and you know, for hey, reason why I haven't called, because <laughs> I've just been hanging on by the thread. And um, I, I I, ha- I reached out to a friend of mine whose husband is a pastor, but he's also a counselor. And um, he is, um, he's not a whack job. You know? <laughs> he's not. You know, he's he's a very you know progressive, liberal-minded um, pastor. You know, and um, and and, he, and he, it's been absolutely life-changing for me. You know. I've been in therapy with him for about eight months now, and it's just been amazing. And so I, I really felt like, like I said, I, I can't, I can't um, uh, advocate en- enough. You know that if you're struggling with clinical depression, or you're just going through a bad period, or you know, and with me it was just dealing with my brothers and all that crap, and then you know our childhood because our mother was. A, I think she was a undiagnosed sociopath, and oh, she God. was very manipulative and abusive, and mentally abusive. And I was primarily her target most of my childhood. So, and then I have sexual assault thrown in there from some uncles. But you know, I, oh, I, my God. so I had a lot of crap to work through. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I've been struggling, you know, most of my adult life. Like I said, I'm almost 60, and I'm just now getting down to brass tacks and dealing with this stuff once and for all. God so that bless. It doesn't and yet you sound so positive. And
1: yet you've gone through all of this, and it hasn't mm-hmm. made you dark, it hasn't made you negative, it hasn't made you hateful. No, You're still completely delightful no, and kind.
0: There's no reason to. Yeah. No reason to. I mean, but you know, I, know I there's don't, so, but, but I so many. I do not see be, living my life that way. Right on. It, that really brings you down, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I take an antidepressant too. I know that fellow that called in and was talking about medication. I'm, I'm on a, just one antidepressant, but, uh, you know, it, it really does help, you know, but the, but the therapy is just absolutely with a lifeline. So I can't, right I can't uh, recommend it enough for people. If they're, you know, like I said, if you're struggling, you don't need to struggle all alone because there's help there. There's help out there. Amen. And, um, And that's Pretty much it, and then I, you know, and I was un, I, I was upset to hear that Thea's not going to be doing the minority report
1: tonight. Oh yeah, it's probably something <laughs> yeah, I said. I went it's to prob-
0: that all week.
1: <laughs> it's probably something I said. It's probably my fault. No, Thea's got her hands full. She's keeping this boat yes, from sinking. know I mean,
0: she told me why, you know, and yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess I'll let you off the hook. But I was listen.
1: Like, she was yeah, very <laughs> patient with me when I was begging and weeping on the phone earlier today. So she's been through a lot. She has- i
0: bet i bet Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah, she's wonderful. You know, so um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the minority reports in the
1: future. So thank you, Mom. What a lot, pleasure John. to hear from you. Love you. Listen, God bless. Stay strong and, and keep in touch. Let us know how thank you're doing, you. okay? Thank you. I- bye bye.